0: At this time, rock a rhyme. Rock a rhyme that's right on time. As the most powerful men in Canada discuss, Top Tech. This week,
1: cloud collecting. (laughs) Well, that's certainly a couple of
2: words. (laughs) That should be our intro all time, every time.
1: So, by cloud
0: collecting... Obviously, everyone talks about the cloud as being where you put all your data these days.
2: Yeah, as opposed to storing it locally on your device, you're putting it in this mystical, off-misunderstood thing called the cloud.
0: The idea of collecting, we're not talking about going out and getting your stuff onto iCloud and getting onto Dropbox, getting onto Box.net and all that kind of thing. We're talking more about putting all of your media collections in the cloud and different places you can go to start putting stuff into the cloud. Because now nowadays, um, for example, iTunes uh, has iTunes Match. If you pay $25 a year, iTunes will sync all of your music and they'll basically make it available wherever you are all the time. So good. Oh, you've used it. <laughs> I haven't used it yet.
1: Oh, no. iTunes Match is the whole reason that I've taken my 23,000 song collection and have rated every one. <laughs> Oh, crap. How else but using cloud computing, can you actually take that much music to work and make sure that you never listen to the same song twice within a three-month period?
2: All of us, well, not all of us, but many of us have collected all this content, and it's stored in various places and various ways of getting it. This is like the promise of this technology that's been for years, is that all your content is accessible on all of your devices, wherever you are, and however you want to listen to it, without having to worry about all those kind of annoying things about how you get it from A to B, right?
0: more and more services are cropping up that are actually uh, accomplishing some of this. Amazon now just released AutoRip, and AutoRip is essentially the same thing as iTunes Match, except that if you have purchased CDs from Amazon in the past, they're saying, well, you bought a CD from us, we have a record of that. So go to your Amazon Cloud account... And you're going to find that all the MP3s for that album are now in your cloud account. You can just have them because
1: you bought the CD back in 1998. That's even more than the iTunes matches because it means that they're taking into account that your physical copy of a TV show or, or of, a, of an album is equivalent to the digital copy that they're keeping online for you. Yeah, and that kind of represents
0: a sea change in how we've seen this stuff because some people might not remember MP3.com. But when mp3.com was started, it was a service that does exactly this, where you upload a CD, essentially. You make mp3s out of it yourself and dump it onto the web. Or if somebody else has already done it, then you can have their mp3s as well, because you already own that album.
1: You're putting your CD into your drive, and it's saying, okay, you own this. It's just a confirmation that you own the CD. Much like iTunes Match is doing with their mp3s. They're saying, okay, your mp3s are on your hard drive. Obviously, that means you own these mp3s, so we'll just make them available to you. And if we can... Can't make them available to you, we'll pull them up into our cloud and make them available to other people who might have the same MP3s that you do. Right. But back in the day, MP3.com went out of
0: business because they were driven there, because the content providers, all the people, you know, the music industry, and the movie industry, and all those people, especially in this case, the music industry said, you can't do that. That's no good. But now that's, that's piracy. Hey, yeah, exactly. Now it's changed. Now it's like, well, you want to have all your MP3s on the web? Amazon's like, sure, because they have all these agreements in place and and, and you can do this. And so because the music industry and the movie industry and, and the video game industry has been changing,
2: they have finally got a clue. They've realized that well, maybe not completely, but the, <laughs> no. the, the the way to winning winning this war they have on piracy, this great white whale that they think they need to defeat in order to have a successful business, which is ridiculous, of course, because they've the content industry in North America is is not losing money; they're making money, most of them. Artists maybe aren't, but the companies sure are. They need to stop treating piracy as a problem that can be solved by fighting pirates. What they need to do, and which they have been doing the last couple of years, which I think is really smart, is come up with methods that make piracy less convenient than the methods that they provide. That they're providing technology and content that's better quality, easier to access, and has this kind of flexibility to go across all your devices that was harder to do when you were pirating. By providing this as a service, they're actually making the whole idea of piracy less interesting to the vast majority of people, that it's just easier to be within the law than it would be to break the law. It's the way that they've moved millions of people over into this system. iTunes, of course, and, and you mentioned Amazon has done this, and then, of course, uh, game companies with Steam.
1: Ah, uh, Steam, yes. Actually, we should talk about Steam Before in a minute. Before you get Steam, I want to talk about one other thing that's been making the rounds that uh, a lot of people miss out on, and these guys are sort of a pioneer in this respect, the comic book industry hmm marvel now not marvel now which is different, <laughs> but marvel now and for the last while has been offering at the back of their comics a little code that you can use to get the digital version of the comic book that you're actually holding in your hand well that's I, I, awesome i didn't
2: know that I, I often wonder if there's kids going into comic book stores and writing the numbers down and going home and putting it in their in their iphones and ipads little kids it's are so walking nice. into the store
0: with their iPhones and they're scanning it right into their phone immediately let's be clear the oh, world man. has gone to hell gentlemen we, we know what's happening
1: for the collector this makes perfect sense for the guy who goes home and who used to go out and buy three copies of the comic book one to keep one is a backup copy to keep and one to read now he only has to buy two copies
0: I thought you were going to say one to use. I'm sorry.
2: Uh, <laughs> the reading gets done on the iPad. Yeah. Of course, the movie industry has been doing this for uh, a year or two as well now with Blu-rays. They were looking at ways of trying to convince people to buy Blu-rays. You know, people. We talked about this in our collections episode a few months back about this idea that people were collecting all this media. And then a new format comes out. Well, how do you convince them? to collect this new format that you've created. Uh, with Blu-ray, they, they promise higher quality and they can promise all these other technological things. But one of the things they've done really well, Blu-ray also includes a digital copy that allows you to watch it on your iPad without very much trouble at all.
1: Actually, Johnny, you're, you're partially correct there. A lot of Blu-rays do this. And some companies, Disney's one of them, do the good way of They include an iTunes download code. Yes, which gives you all the flexibility that iTunes gives you in managing your media and hold on to it. What the other companies are doing is what Beej just mentioned in the background there, which is called Ultraviolet, which is their name for a terrible system which requires lots and lots of communication between servers and almost no flexibility in how you get to watch your things.
0: And so this is actually both the upside and the downside of the cloud, is that in any sort of cloud collection service your account is essentially what's mediating your access and then your ability to watch that film is based on whatever license that the cloud company is willing to give you to watch that thing in the first place Mm -hmm. and that's the thing you have to kinda be careful of is that you know nowadays if I go and I buy a Blu-ray or if I buy a DVD if I buy a piece of physical media I can come home and I can put it in just about any device I have at my house and I can watch that thing and because I own that disc I will own it forever if it burns up in a fire and there are no more of them. I will never have that ever again. If it scratches or breaks, I will never have it ever again. You know, it's not like the company has a, uh, an obligation to replace it for me. But with a cloud, if I ever lose that copy, I can always just get it again. And those things will always be available for me.
2: But on the flip side of that argument is that company could decide to revoke your privileges and then you would have to fight them to get access to – as happened with Amazon.com with a Kindle book a while ago. It was a very famous story where 1984, the published version of 1984 that they had –
1: Ironically. Yes.
2: Got recalled and it got recalled from people that had already downloaded it and it removed it from their device including one student – I believe an elementary or maybe high school student, I'm not sure, uh, had written a whole bunch of notes in the actual document. And so one of the cool things about the Kindle is that you can actually highlight areas and write notes in your content, just as if you would in a print version. Basically in the digital margins. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and when it got recalled, he lost all of that. So he lost all his work. So he had a big, giant company to blame for why his homework wasn't done. But yeah, it, Amazon it, it, ate my homework. <laughs> Exactly. It exposed a really interesting problem of when you start relying on the cloud for managing your content, are they going to be properly accountable? And how long are the company going to be around for? And are they always going to provide that for you? And so yeah, this and is have, happening in video have, games as well, right?
0: I have two examples actually of where things can go wrong. Because the first one is if a company goes out of business, if you have paid for service and you've been getting whatever, you've purchased things through them. Like if Apple went out of business tomorrow, fat chance. But if they did, all that iTunes stuff that was up, when those ser- servers shut down, you no longer have access to any of that music that's, that's living in the cloud, right? If you have but, but, it on your hard drive, you've got it.
2: But, yeah, that's the issue is that there's there's two types of this, right? They are doing you a favor by allowing you to have it in the cloud and then the service goes away and you lose that ability. And then there's mm-hmm. the other where it's more like they're providing a license for you that they can revoke when they go out of business or that stops working when their servers go down.
0: And the other thing is too is that with these digital formats – I'm thinking of Microsoft Plays for Sure. Even Microsoft's still in business, uh, and Plays for Sure content might still work, but they just stopped making the Zune. And I imagine that at some point, the Zune was their answer to the iPod, for those people who don't know. At some point, Microsoft Plays for Sure MP3s, essentially, which have been encoded with what's known as DRM, Digital Rights Management, which basically prevent you from playing it wherever you want. You can only play it on things that can authorize that content. Those kind of formats can just disappear and shut down and you can't use them anywhere else at that point again the music the movies the the comic books anything you've paid for if you can't decode it then you don't have it you might still own the digital edition that's sitting on your hard drive but if you can't read it what good is it to you it's
2: like your media has to call home to ask daddy if you're still allowed to play which is why many people like us are strongly strongly in favor of hacking tools that gives the power to users to be able to strip that digital rights management out of their content.
1: Or more importantly, Johnny, just not buying content that has DRM on it in the first place.
2: That's true. Sometimes there's content that just isn't available in a digital form without that digital rights management. But you're right. Whenever possible, when I'm provided with a choice between digital rights managed content or electronic content that doesn't have it, I'll always choose the ones with a digital rights management in it. But uh, sometimes the convenience is very powerful. And so for that, I recommend, and this is something that not everyone is willing to invest time and effort into, but I think it's important to have access to the tools to be able to strip that digital rights management out of the, the content that you own, that you've paid for, so that you can control its future and not be left up to uh, a company to control it. So um, my friend has been spending the last couple of months Uh, researching and has got all the tools necessary to rip out all the digital rights management out of all the books that he's purchased through uh, online book retailer. Now, he's not doing that because he wants to share the books with others and give it away for free, and he's not doing it because he's stealing books and wants to not have to pay for it. He just wants the peace of mind to know that he has all that content in a format that he doesn't have to
1: worried about the company
2: ever you. taking away from him. And I, yeah, that he doesn't have to fight after the fact. And I think that that's really interesting, and we'll provide some interesting uh, um, links in the, in the show notes about some of the places that you can find some of this technology.
1: So that's the scare story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quite seriously, that's the scare story. So why would you want to put stuff in your cloud? Why would you want to collect
0: things there? We mentioned Steam twice. Let's actually talk about Steam a little bit and use that as a way to frame this. Because I'm not a Steam user, but I've seen lots of people actually using Steam. I'm excited about Steam because it is a way to buy video games. And it's run by Valve Software. It's not just a place where you can buy Half-Life. It is a place where you can buy all sorts of video games. And it's just come to Linux, which makes me very happy. But it's been on Windows machines and Mac OS X for a long, long time. Mac, not as long as Windows, but yes. Yeah, exactly. But the great thing about Steam is that they have sales there all the time, and they do bundles, and they have exclusive content, and there's all sorts of neat things. Like They have old games that are no longer being published that are showing up in there that you
2: can get again. And then, of course, they have that great feature that if something happened to your hard drive and you lose all the games, you have all the save games and the actual games you've purchased in your purchase history. It just re- downloads it to a new computer or to a computer, new computer's hardware because you have the rights to those games, and it's backed up your saves for you, and then it's as if – You didn't lose anything at all.
0: Hardware failure is more likely than you think, right? Why would you want to buy something completely electronic to put on a device? And then if that device fails, it's like, well, you've lost that thing you've paid for. No, they're like, no, we'll make sure you can get it all back. And iTunes, of course, does the same thing. Absolutely. Are either of you guys Steam users as well?
1: I don't know many people who don't have a Steam account, but... I'm like the only one, I guess. I bought it just for Team Fortress 2 and for Portal 2, actually, as well. That was was a very interesting system that they used, actually, with Portal 2. It was a multi-platform game. But if you went with the PS3 version, Mm. the PS3 version also tied into Steam as well, allowing you to play on the Mac or on the PC or on the PS3, all with just one copy of the game. Which is kind of neat because traditionally you would have had to have purchased Portal 2 for the PC and
0: then for the Mac and then for the PS3 if you wanted to play it in all three places. Whereas what Valve is saying with Steam is that the game is the game. And when you buy the game, we'll let you play it wherever
2: you want. Well, let's be clear. They're saying that for their own games. The other ones, like, for instance, just recently I bought Bastion on Steam, but I also bought it for iOS. And, you know, I had to buy those two separately. But it was affordable and it's a great game and I totally didn't mind paying twice for it. But Portal 2, not only great cross-platform game in the sense that you can play competitively or cooperatively with other players, um, but, yeah, this idea that you pay for it once and then you have it all the time – uh, on any of the platforms you want to play it on. it was, It's really a new thing, and it, it was
1: very exciting. One of the places where Steam really shot into popularity was at internet cafes and gaming cafes. Mm-hmm.
2: Because it meant that they didn't have to
1: have a copy of each program for each machine. Mm. You just had to buy enough copies for enough people to play at the same time that wanted to. Or if you're a person that wanted to come in and just play a game with a bunch of friends on a LAN, as long as you all owned the game, you just had to sit down in a machine that had Steam. And you would log in with your account. And you'd have that game
2: there, wherever you were. Yeah. And keep in mind, it still needed to, if it didn't have the game files on that computer, it would need to download and install them. But it wouldn't charge you anything extra for that, and it would be relatively hassle-free. And and, at an internet gaming cafe kind of place, they're going to have quite good download speed, so it's probably going to not be that big of a hassle. And
1: that's really true for all of these these cloud services. Even if something is, quote-unquote, streaming down to you, When you're streaming data, you're still downloading the data. You're just basically playing it as you get it. Mm -hmm. I guess the bottom line here is that when you're thinking about purchasing
0: content, exploring what your options are on the cloud can actually be really helpful because you have the ability to get what you've purchased back, you know, if it ever goes missing. You have the ability to use it anywhere you go on all sorts of different devices if that's actually bundled into what the cloud service provides. For example, if I buy a book on Amazon Kindle, I can read it on a Kindle, but I can also read it on an iOS device because there's a Kindle app for iOS. Of course, the downsides are is that if that company ever goes out of business, then you might never be able to crack that stuff open and use it again. But fortunately, there's a lot of freedom-minded individuals out on the Internet who are creating tools to allow you to keep using the content you've paid for when you want to use it. You just won't have the convenience of being able to use it on the cloud anymore.
2: Keep in mind that cloud computing or storing things in the cloud is generally not affected by the weather, (laughs) except for in very extreme situations. As what we're talking about here, we're not talking about Cirrus or Stratus or any of the other actual cloud formations in the sky. We're talking about content that you're storing in a network-storaged area that is accessible on all your devices. And as Ian pointed out, it's actually accessed through the internet, but it is often stored locally on your device as well. But as needed, it downloads only the stuff that you're asking for. I think we're all in agreement that it's worth investigating any type of cloud content that you want to use. It's worth investigating how they treat their rights and protect the contents. The money you spend is not lost, but there's a lot of really exciting ways that you can use it. And for the most part, Your content that you pay for, you're always going to be able to hopefully access, and it's not that scary. I think that the way that all media is moving that way, and I think for the most part, it's very convenient and useful for consumers. Well,
1: on that completely non-bombshell then. (laughs) (laughs) We've been the most powerful men in Canada. My name is Ian Horner.
0: I'm Johnny Blakeborough. I'm just thinking of
2: something to say. Hang on.
1: That was Brendan beach Deary. damn it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us. The most powerful men in Canada would love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at toptech.tiltyhouse.com if you have any comments or if there are any subjects you'd like us to cover in a future show.